Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we preview this weekend's game against the Houston Texans and another edition of David Reviews Star Wars. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome back to the Lockdown Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. And yes, my voice quality is still not up to snuff because David and I are recording this a day early because I cannot record when we normally do because I would be sitting in the theater seeing Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. So I'm still on my cell phone and Spectrum still sucks. Anyway, we have a voicemail that we are going to get to and then we are going to do our uh, our Bucks-Texans preview. So David, roll that beautiful bean footage. Hi guys, JT from Texas. Got another one. Uh, we got the Texans coming up, ready for crossover Wednesday. Uh, do y'all think y'all think Vernon Hargraves is going to play a part? Is it going to be good for us, bad for us, and different? Kind of touch on Hargraves being with the Texans. Do you think Jameis uh, is going to target him a lot and pick on him a lot like they used to do when he was playing for us? Every quarterback that came would pick on somebody. Is he the one that they're, that Jameis is going to pick on because he knows him? Is he going to pick Jameis off because he knows Jameis? They practiced a lot together. Touch on that a little bit. Give me something to listen to, guys. Appreciate it. Y'all do a great job. Go Bucks. All right. Thank you very much for the voicemail. And, yeah, this was something, David, that we talked about, not you and I, but but I talked about it with the guys from Locked On Texans, Cody and John over there. They do a great job, uh, even if Cody is a Saints fan. They're actually pretty pleased with what they've seen out of Vernon Hargrave. He's a little bit better in that system that they run over there. He plays a lot in the in as the slot corner, which is what you and I talked about repeatedly. If you want Hargraves to succeed, that's the position that he needs to be in. And that's what the Texans are using him for. So I was really looking forward to seeing Chris Godwin line up in the slot against Vernon Hargraves and just absolutely dismantle him. Uh, but we're not going to get that. What we're going to get is some rotation among the receivers. He might end up having to be lined up against O.J. Howard, which Vernon Hargraves is not going to defend a pass against O.J. Howard because O.J. Howard's like six foot five, and Vernon Hargraves is, um, I think he's like 4'11". So that would be a huge mismatch. Um, the... The familiarity that Jameis and Hargraves have of one another, I don't think lends its advantage to either side. What it's going to be is just a flat out, you have to go out there and beat the guy across from you. Jameis has to put the ball where Hargraves can't get to it. Hargraves is going to have to make a read, remember a tendency of some sort, and make a solid jump on the ball if he's going to take one away. And, and create a turnover for the Texans' defense. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see Hargraves line up against whoever it is that he ends up lining up against. I don't think he's going to be a huge factor. And, and if you look at it, the Texans' pass defense is really not that much better than the Bucks' pass defense as far as the the average yards allowed, the average points allowed, it's it's pretty similar. I think they're only allowing like 10 to 15 yards per game less in the air than the Bucks are. So, you know, this this Houston defense can be beat absolutely and we know the Hargraves can be susceptible to some big plays when he's not hustling, he's not in position or he's just flat out not ready to go. Yeah, I don't know that I would expect Jameis to to necessarily target him, you know. But I mean, that's that's the purpose of scouting. That's the purpose of game planning. Is you know, if they see a matchup that they like, then they hone in on that matchup and they try to manipulate that matchup. And, and yeah, like you said, I mean, if if Vernon were to 
find himself unfortunately matched up against a guy like OJ, and that's definitely a matchup they would probably look to exploit. But not so much in the sense of, oh, that's Vernon, let's go after Vernon, more so, oh, that's a 5'10", you know, 5'11 on a good day cornerback on our behemoth of a tight end, so let's let's uh, box him out and and do that. And then, you know, you've got some some quicker guys on the field and and stuff like that. Like if you if you have you know, Vernon matched up with with Brashad Perryman for some reason. Like, you know, that's that's a matchup you can exploit because uh, Perryman's obviously got the reach and the speed and, and all that on him, and Vernon's going to play like thirty five yards off of him. So, you know, you you've got some easy underneath stuff there if you if you decide to take it. Yeah, I mean, but he's basically doing the same thing stat wise that he was with the Bucks with the Texans. Uh, you know, he's playing inside, which is better, obviously, like you said, James. But uh, it, he wasn't brought in there to be a lockdown corner. I think that's, we've talked about this before. It's expectation management. Like he was brought to the Buccaneers to be a lockdown perimeter defender and he's not. And that's why he didn't work out in Tampa, but being a slot defender in Houston could definitely work out. Uh, being a slot defender somewhere else next year could definitely work out if they choose not to bring him back. So yeah, I mean, he's going to have a, a role, you know, if when they get bored, when the, when the broadcasters get bored of talking about the Houston Texans winning the AFC South, then they'll probably turn to Vernon. I just hope for the fan base that Vernon doesn't intercept Jameis because that's not that's not a Twitter I want to live in. Yeah, it would make me very glad that I won't be able to watch the game live because I'll be driving to Athens. David, let's go ahead and dive in to our preview as we normally do. And before we jump into our predictive players and bowl predictions and all that, you know, I, I talked plenty on the crossover Wednesday episode with the locked on Texans guys. Uh, is there anything that you want to talk about before we dive into our usual stuff? Not a, not a whole lot. I mean, I like what you guys had to say. I, I kind of liked uh, what you guys covered on that episode. Um, even though I've never seen Breaking Bad myself, you know, it was still entertaining. Oh. Um, well, no, that's a lie. I, I saw the first season. I never watched anything after that. Um, you know, I just, I, it's a pass. Uh, you know, one of them said it. You agree with them. It's going to be a passing game. Like that's, it's going to be all about. I know the NFL is a passing game, or, or football today is a passing game anyway. But this game. <laughs> I think more than anything, like I understand the Texans, you know, one of them talked about how, you know, the Texans like to line up on the first snap and they always run the ball. And that's great. And, you know, you would love to get a guy like Carlos Hyde or even Duke Johnson kind of rolling and get them going early to kind of control the clock and, you know, keep keep the pace of the game the way that you want it. But we, we already know what this Buccaneers run defense is. So unless they come out having an incredibly uncharacteristic day uh, against the, the Texans run attack, you know, they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. They're going to be able to control the running game. So, the Texans are going to have to uh, rely on Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins and, uh, and and all those guys. So really, I mean, just like any other game that looks like it's going to be uh, a pass-happy game, uh, the key is going to be scoring early, and the key is going to be scoring often, and the key is going to be protecting the football. Outside of Jameis Winston's game-opening lucky interception, You know, we need to minimize the turnovers. All right. Well, with that, David, let's go ahead and dive in. Starting with the predictive offensive player of the games. And David, I'm going to go first because I don't want you to steal mine and I usually let you go first. So my predictive offensive player of the game, OJ Howard. No Chris Godwin, no Mike Evans. I believe it was Pewter Report and Jenna Lane tweeted out the other day that Jameis told Brate and OJ in practice be ready. You're going to get the ball a lot. He's going to heavily rely on these tight ends in this game. Yes, Rashad Perryman had a career day against the Detroit Lions, but after him, what do the Buccaneers have? They got Justin Watson, Spencer Schnell. I mean, this this goes back to the days when Jameis was trying to hit deep balls to Dante Dye. Like the, the wide receiving core is basically made up of two players plus the practice squad. That's what they're dealing with right now. So you have to utilize these playmaking tight ends. And like I mentioned a little bit earlier, if you are splitting OJ Howard out wide and he's lined up in the slot and he's getting to go one-on-one with Vernon Hargraves, he's going to win that matchup 10 times out of 10. I expect the best performance of the season out of OJ Howard in this game if the Buccaneers are going to steal a win against the Texans. Because as I said on the crossover show, that's exactly what this would be. They would be stealing a win with all of the injuries that they have piled up at this point. The Texans are currently the leaders 
in the AFC South. If they win this game, they win the division. They are putting it all on the line so that their season doesn't come down to a Week 17 matchup with the Tennessee Titans. So the Bucs have to expose the defense both in the passing game and in the running game because the Texans' run defense is not good. But I expect O.J. Howard to have a massive, massive game on Saturday. I like it. I mean, theoretically speaking, Houston, like if Pittsburgh wins, Houston loses, Tennessee wins, and then Pittsburgh wins again in Week 17, then next weekend, they're not just playing for their division title. They're playing for a playoff spot. Like the Houston Texans could theoretically go from first place in the AFC South coming into this weekend to out of the playoffs next weekend. So, yeah, big time game for them. Uh, OJ is definitely going to play a big part, big part. Uh, But my guy is Brashad Perryman. And it's basically for the same reasons uh, that I when I made him next factor earlier this season, I said the same thing. Except this time, there's more on the line. Like Brashad Perryman, this game is the number one wide receiver. Wide receiver. We're assuming Chris Godwin is not going to play. I don't see any way that he does play. Um, you know, crazier things have happened, but I don't see Chris Godwin playing this game. So Brashad Perryman's the guy. Um, if he comes out and plays as a number one sufficiently to where the defense has to treat him as a number one wide receiver, then it's going to help out guys like OJ Cam. Ishmael Hyman, you know, whoever they have out there running out there, uh, the new guy, Cyril, Cyril Grayson, right? Um, if he doesn't, then they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to play closer to the line of scrimmage. They're going to be able to shrink the box a little bit because even, because when you're playing against tight ends, I understand OJ Howard is fast for a tight end, but he's fast for a tight end. He's not fast for a wide receiver. So if you don't have to worry about Prashad Perryman on the outside, and you don't have to worry about Justin Watson on the outside, then you can shrink the box. You can play closer. You can play more aggressive. And that's where things are going to get dangerous for uh, James Winston in this offense. So, Brashad Perryman, he's got to come in. I'm not saying he's got to have a big statistical game, but he's at least got to make some things happen early on in this game that make that Texans defense treat him like a number one receiver in this passing attack. All right. And, David, go ahead and go back-to-back, brother. Who is your predictive defensive player of the game? Uh, Shaquille Barrett because Deshaun Watson – oh, wait, we have a no shack rule. We do totally, have a no shack rule. Totally forgot about the no shack rule. Did JP you know come what? back to practice if, today? Uh, he did not participate. Or no, no, no. I'm sorry. Is he a limited participant? I honestly can't remember. And I wrote up the injury report for Bucks Nation. All right. Well, assuming that JPP plays in this game, which I think that he will, but you know, assuming that he plays, then I'm gonna go with Jace Pierre Paul because I can't go with Shaq Barrett because I dimed myself out. Um the pass rush is going to be critical. Like Deshaun Watson is a talented quarterback. He's not the best quarterback in the, in the National Football League, but the kid is talented. And he's got DeAndre Hopkins out there. Like DeAndre Hopkins, if you get the ball within eight feet of DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to make that catch. And, you know, the simple answer is go with Carlton Davis or something like that. Got it. He, obviously, he's going to be important. But if that pass rush can get into Deshaun Watson, if they can make him uncomfortable, if they can get him off of his spot and contain him while doing so then they're going to make life really difficult on the Texans offense. They're going to make life really difficult on DeAndre Hopkins. And DeAndre could end up with eight catches for 96 yards. But as long as that touchdown column only has one, maybe two, then the Buccaneers are going to be in it and they're going to have a chance to win this game. Uh, JPP, full participant in practice. So you're good there. And honestly, David, you could have gotten away with that Shaq Barrett thing because I absolutely was not going to call you on it because I forgot. Yeah, I caught, I caught, I heard you about to say that, but that's okay. No, I, I busted myself. I, I'm sure one of our listeners would have remembered, so I, I'm, I'm good with it. All right. Well, piggybacking off of yours, my predictive defensive player of the game is going to be Levante David. You talked about bringing the pressure, trying to get Deshaun Watson off his spot, trying to get him uncomfortable, but you you brought up that keyword, and that keyword was contained. It is not going to surprise me one bit if Todd Bowles rolls out there and he says, look, we are going to bring pressure every single play from every single angle, but 54, you have to stay home and you have to spy him all day long. If he breaks contain, it's on you. The most sure tackler on this team to make sure that he does not break away and gain a huge chunk, move the chains, anything like that, it is going to rest solely on your shoulders because there's nobody else on this team that I would trust in that spot more than I would trust Levante David. And you're right. That is a key, is being able to contain Deshaun Watson. Yes, he he doesn't 
take off the way Lamar Jackson does, but the guy is ridiculously dangerous when he does choose to use his legs, much like Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson doesn't use his legs often, but he's dangerous when he does. You have to be able to contain that, and if you're bringing pressure all day long to try to avoid those long-developing plays to DeAndre Hopkins, who, in all respect to the Bucks' secondary and their massive improvement over the last month-plus, Nobody on this Buccaneers team can cover that guy because nobody in the NFL can cover that guy. You have to avoid the deep ball, the long developing plays by bringing the pressure. And Levante David is going to be the guy that has to keep Deshaun Watson honest. Yes, sir. And can I just say that uh, I think Evan wrote about this on BucksStation.com, but I think it's a real it's a real contributor to this game that the Houston Texans have no idea what the Buccaneers are going to do offensively. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to play a huge part in it because you know that they were ready to game plan to try to take Mike Evans out of the game or to try to take Chris Godwin out of the game. Now both of them took, well, their hamstrings took them out of the game, much like the hamstrings have taken away half of the roster. But yeah, there's there's no... There, there, there's no way to tell what they're going to do. Jameis Winston, without Godwin, without Evans, completed passes to eight different receivers last week against the yeah. Detroit Lions. You don't know who he's going to target. They could put Vita Vea out there as a fullback, and he would dump a pass off, let that guy get ahead of steam. Good luck tackling him. Yeah. Yep. It's it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what Byron has in store for, for the Texans. All right. Well, David, what is your bold prediction for this game oh man i didn't have one uh my bold prediction is going to be that ishmael hyman will score a touchdown i like it uh let's see for my bold prediction uh i gotta look into my crystal ball because i've been pretty good at these this year we are going to go with the the proof is out there you can go back and listen to them i can thanks appreciate it i don't like the theme (laughs) song so i won't do it Oh jeez, uh, you you co-signed on that theme song because <laughs> we we liked we liked the lyrics of that you know with the with the addition of Bruce and all that. Anyway, I digress. My crystal ball is telling me that Deshaun Watson will get sacked not once, not twice, but three times, matching the number of turnovers he has. Deshaun Watson will. Turn the ball over three times, be sacked three times. So if he gets sacked four times and has four turnovers, then your bull prediction was wrong. Nope, still counts. It's interesting. I like just it. Like Hopefully if, it happens. Just, That'd be great. Just like if, if, if Ishmael Hyman gets two touchdowns, you still gets a check mark as he got that one correct. Touche. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, All right. That's fair. All right. Well, again... If you haven't listened to it already, and I know it was extra, extra long, but I had a great time talking to the guys, please go back and check out the Crossover Wednesday episode with Locked On Texans, where you will hear me predict for this game. And and I had thought, I I said it on the show, I thought all day long that I was going to pick the Texans. Then I got in the moment, and I'm like, you know what? The Bucs are going to do this. They're going to pull this one off, and they are going to win 27-24, to putting a whole lot of pressure on the Texans to beat the Titans the following week and making Evan, our good friend from Bucks Nation, Evan, Titans lover, Winter, an ecstatic man that his Tennessee Titans can win the division the following week. Yeah, Evan would start dancing on that ACL if that happened. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson has only thrown three interceptions in one game in his entire career, and it was the last game he played his rookie season, the one he got hurt in. I didn't say he was going to throw three interceptions. I said he was going to turn the ball over three times. Mm, I hate you. Aha. <laughs> Fine, but it's still an interesting stat. I don't care. It, so it, is, it is an right? interesting stat. Yes. What is your wacky, insane mathematical equation for this one? It's not wacky or insane. It makes a whole lot of sense. So this game is going to rely on the passing game, right? Like this game is going to be won or lost through the air. Air Force members will be proud. So the Buccaneers are currently allowing 276.8 yards per game through the air by for four quarterbacks, right? 
Deshaun Watson is averaging 262 yards per game right now. Okay. Those two those two values average out to 269.4 yards. Since you can't throw for 0.4 yards, we're going to give him the benefit of that. So we're going to call it 270 yards for Deshaun Watson. So you can call that a bold prediction if you want. That's what the math says, that Deshaun Watson should throw for right around 270 yards. The Texans are scoring an average of 29.3 points per game when Deshaun Watson throws for 270 or more yards. And they are 5-2 and two in those seven games that that's happened in. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are allowing 29.4 points per game when opposing quarterbacks throw for 270 yards or more. And they're actually 4-3 and three in those games. So you take the Houston Texans 29.3 that they're scoring in those situations, the Buccaneers 20, 29.4 that they're allowing in those situations, and you end up with an average of 29.4, which again, we round up, not down, because that's how points work. And the Texans are going to score 30 points in this game. Now, same math for the other side. The Texans are allowing 266.1 passing yards per game. Jameis Winston is averaging 326.6 passing yards per game. Those average out to 297 yards passing for Jameis Winston. The Buccaneers score an average of 32.7 points per game when Jameis throws for 297 yards or more and are 5-5 five and five which is ridiculous when your quarterback throws for 297 yards. You should not be a 500 ball club. The Texans are allowing 30.4 points per game when opposing quarterbacks throw for 297 yards and are predictably two and three in those games. You average those values and the Buccaneers are going to score 32 points. So it's Buccaneers 32, Texans 30. I love David Harrison's score prediction math. It's like my favorite thing. How you come up with some of these to to create your score predictions is just wild, and I absolutely love it. So, all right, we're both picking the Buccaneers this week, and you know what, David? We're still on a run. So, for those of you that do not care for the David Review Star Wars segment, this is your... this. uh, Yeah, first off, how dare you? Second off, this is your exit. Please check out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBox, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Send us your post-game reaction voicemails to 813-444-5841. Now, for those of you that have been enjoying this segment, listening to David talk about going through the Star Wars Skywalker saga for the first time in his life, we are now on Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. I have failed you, Anakin. I have failed you. So, David, first question right out of the gate. Did you like Anakin better in Episode 3 than you did in Episode 2? Yes. Much Good. better. Good. That um, is the right answer. <laughs> there was still some garbage lines, and you, you were right. There were still some garbage lines in there. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was it was a much better character. It was a much better dynamic. Uh, things went, you know. I mean, things did like me personally. They didn't go the way that I would say they would go. But I didn't write the movies. They went in a way that you can say, okay, I see where those dots got connected. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, I'm not, uh, yeah, there's, there's no issues there with that whole thing. Like there were in some of the other ones. Now I have to know what you thought of one of my absolute favorite scenes in all of star Wars, the scene with Anakin and chancellor Palpatine at the opera. What did mm-hmm. you think of, of that whole dynamic where, you you basically feel like Anakin starts to get an inkling of who he's dealing with. You have Palpatine sharing this legend of Darth Plagueis the Wise, who had learned how to manipulate the midichlorians to prevent people from dying, playing right into Anakin's fear and just sucking him in. What did you think of that? I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a really cool way to tie that whole thing together and and it, you know, it didn't feel forced. Like some of the stuff has felt forced. And that was a kind of a moment where it just kind of felt natural. And 
I could see a guy like Palpatine doing that. Like, I'm going to bring you into this setting where, you know, it's just me and you. I have you isolated. Nobody else can talk to you. Nobody else can interrupt. Like, you know, it, it's just kind of the perfect setting to be able to have that conversation and then to play on his fears the way that that he did. And, yeah, I mean, it's 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 emotional leverage at its best, which is unfortunate in this case because it's definitely not used for good. Um, but, you know, it's – yeah, it, it was a great scene. It was a good scene. And – uh, I enjoyed it. There were there were some other scenes I didn't enjoy, but that one I definitely did enjoy. All right. Well, one of my favorite parts about this is hearing what you didn't enjoy. So tell me, what what did what was it about episode three that you were not a fan of? Uh, I was not a fan of Samuel Jackson suddenly going from Jedi extraordinaire to murderer because I say it's okay because uh, it doesn't fit. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fit in any way, shape or form what they would do, what a Jedi would do. Um, you know what I mean? And, and and don't get me wrong. Everybody has the capacity for hypocrisy. So I get that. But for Samuel Jackson's character to go that extreme from you're under arrest to I'm about to kill you just doesn't make any sense. You know, like, I mean, they, they had, they had all these, I mean, at a, at a worst, I get the word, and I get it, they needed it for the storyline. But at the worst case scenario, and worst case scenario in that situation is you arrest him. You know, Anakin's there uh, when you try to arrest him. And Palpatine is either going to try to get away and essentially prove to Anakin right there in that moment, show him his evil without being in a situation where I can convince you that my evil is okay. And that's essentially going to undo everything that he's done with Anakin up to that point. Or you have a situation where he gets arrested, and I mean, we, we see it in in real life government, and I know, and I know it's fiction, it's science fiction, or whatever. But you bring you bring forth uh, if someone like the Jedi Order brings forth, you know, Senator Palpatine, Chancellor Palpatine, and says, "This is what this guy's been doing. This is what he, how he's been manipulating everybody." Da 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 da. Even the ones who are like, "No, he would never do that." There's going to be people who say that. There's going to be people who say, "No, maybe he did it. Let's do it." But either way. All the stuff this guy has been able to get away with behind the scenes and under, you know, uh, cloak and dagger and all that stuff is going to stop because now he's got the attention of everybody. Now everybody's looking at him for this kind of stuff. And essentially all that stuff is going to go away. Um, but again, it's kind of like the Jar Jar Binks thing, right? Like Jar Jar deciding to go back to where he's been exiled from, despite the fact that he knows they'll kill him. You you can't have the storyline move forward the way that you need it to unless that happens. I mean, another way they could have made that happen is. You know, Palpatine in that moment, you know, Anakin's, you know, like, no, it's not the Jedi way. We should arrest him. He'll stand trial. And Samuel L. is like, hey, but he's got the courts and everything. He's like, master, you always tell us. He's like, oh, you're right, Anakin. You know, I'm glad you were able to put me on the right path. And then Palpatine's like, no, that's not how we're going to do this. You suck. And maybe even Samuel still dies. But either way, you know, Anakin's like, holy crap, dude, you're evil. And then Palpatine goes away, kidnaps uh, Natalie Portman. And, you know, you get there. Another way, and basically Palpatine turns him to the dark side by threatening to kill the love of his life, and so Anakin essentially has to give in to the dark side, or else he's going to lose his girl. And you know that's where you kind of get the whole conflict between continue the 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 light side, or is that what's called the light side? I don't like. Uh, yeah, yeah. And don't let my emotions get in the way, or give in to the dark side, completely fly off the rails and destroy this dude, and in the process. You know, uh, Obi-Wan tries to stop him. He's like, no, you can't do this. And then, you know, you kind of get to the same result where it's like, Obi-Wan, you're standing in my way. He's like, no, you can't do this. It's not the Jedi way. He's like, screw your Jedi way, bro. She's got my girl. Like, and that's where you solve the battle. And then, you know, he gets all decapitated and stuff and or dismembered and stuff. And Palpatine saves him and essentially is like, I can, I'll save you. But if I save you, you know, you have to be mine. And he's like, yeah, of course I'll do it because Anakin's a selfish little brat and he's going to do whatever he needs to, to save his own skin. Uh, they, you know, and they still hide Luke and Leia because he ran off with Palpatine and agreed to be his apprentice. So obviously he's a threat and Natalie Portman is already proven that she's not down with that. So, you know what I mean? You can still get to the same. And again, I'm looking at it through the lens of from an outside angle, what could have been, I'm not in the room having to develop the story. So it's easy for me to say, but just there's just other ways they could have got at it. Well, and I, I guess I never really thought about it that way because ultimately 
Mace Windu was a thousand percent right. He was too dangerous to be left alive. And oh, I agree. Yeah. While while it is quote unquote the Jedi way for him to stand trial, and Anakin even says as much, you know, he must stand trial. This isn't the Jedi way. You know, he's too dangerous to be left alive. Um, Mace Windu was never getting out of that conflict alive, regardless, because I firmly and and there there's a couple theories on it, but I'm firmly in the camp of the Emperor was never once in danger. Oh, no. Of dying in that scene. No. He was playing possum to continue to suck Anakin in. And he heard those words that he needed was, I need him. Yeah. Because Anakin knew that that Palpatine was the only one that could save Padme. When in reality, and we're going to get to this in a second, um, Emperor had zero interest in ever saving Padme. So I, I do want to talk about this. Let's talk about the very end. You have the the symmetry between Padme giving birth and dying on the table inexplicably and Mm -hmm. Anakin laying on the table, dying and being fixed and becoming, you know, more machine than man, quote unquote, um, you know, to to save him and become Darth Vader. What do you think happened to Padme that caused her to die? Uh, I mean, the. You can, I mean, you can die in childbirth, obviously, but for for the for the like the theatrical answer, she died of a broken heart. Okay, because that's that's what a lot of people kind of assumed, and that's not what I think happened. Okay, and and I'm going to float this out there. We'll see what you think. But there there's a group of Star Wars fans that believe that you know palpatine you go back to the to the opera scene talking about how darth plagueis had learned how to manipulate midichlorians to prevent death and all of that um and plagueis taught his apprentice everything he knew and then his apprentice killed him in his sleep well obviously of course that's palpatine right i believe that palpatine was manipulating the force to suck Padme's basically her life force out to save Anakin. Um, Allowing Anakin to live, become Darth Vader, because then he gets off the table and he blames Anakin for her death with a smile on his face. Because he knows, yeah, in your anger, you killed her. No, I felt her. She was alive. Well, no. Because the Emperor, in his evil, sick, sadistic, twisted ways, took away the one attachment that you had, the one person that he was ever going to listen to or listen to more than Palpatine himself. And he took that away from him so that Anakin had nothing left but anger and rage to manipulate as Darth Vader. Until he almost sees his son get killed by the same person. Right. Yeah, no, that, I mean, yeah, that could be a thing. I could see that. Like, basically, that's the manipulation of the midichlorian, so to speak, is he's taking her midichlorians and giving them to him to keep him alive. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's feasible. Um, You know what, though? So thinking about that whole thing, right? You know what would have made more, obviously, like, before I say this, everybody understand, I got it. There's no (laughs) way to do this. You know what would have been a better ending to A New Hope, though, then? What's that? Uh, Palpatine almost killing Leia. Because, in theory, she would probably look like her mother-ish. You know what I'm saying? Like, the whole way that Palpatine drew him in was to get her out of the way. So, in A New Hope, almost seeing someone who looks like her being killed by this dude that he, you know, all these years followed and da-da-da-da, that's what kind of snaps him out of it. I mean, again, if you made them in that secession, that could be something that could happen. But obviously, given the way everything went down, you can't do that. But just kind of yeah, the the fact that they didn't decide that Leia and Luke were twins until the you know third movie of the trilogy, right? Yeah, that like I don't like I don't know why George Lucas didn't plan his 1990s and 2000 series before he planned his 80s series. I mean, who doesn't do that? But. I, I don't I I, I mean I got they got Hayden Christensen at the end of episode three so or the episode <laughs> episode six so I don't know why they couldn't plan yeah I got it I'm just saying like with all oh, I, I get what you're that saying would have been you know what I mean a, a more sensible way not insulting it whatsoever 
just a thought. Everybody calm down. I, I, I'm totally calm. I think, I think it's a solid point. Um, okay. Now I know you're not a huge fan of the lightsaber battles because you look at it from a right. more tactical viewpoint because of your career. But yeah, I mean, Revenge of the we don't Sith, fight with swords. <laughs> right. But you, you look at the spins and the flips and the theatrics yeah. and think, well, stab him there, stab him there. So you could have stabbed right. him four times there. I right. get it. But episode three is my favorite lightsaber battle in any of the movies between Anakin and Obi-Wan. I, I think it was really, really well done. I think it was exciting. Uh, how did you feel about the giant lightsaber lava fight between the two of them? I have no complaints. It was absolutely awesome. Good. That makes me happy. And when so when when he's standing on the high ground and Anakin's like, I'm going to get you or whatever. And he jumps. I'm thinking he's going to get impaled. Like, I'm thinking like he's coming down on Obi-Wan's like, you know, lightsaber. And that's going to be another that. Like when he hit the ground with no legs. And all, I was like, what just happened? <laughs> and then he lit on fire. Like, I thought he fell in the lava. So, like, I knew he was obviously like, you know, burned. And all. You, you see that at the end of of uh, of the third movie, the episode six. So obviously, you know, as soon as I see like the fire plant, I'm like, oh, okay, so that's going to be where, you know, whatever happens, happens. I thought he like probably fell in the lava or, or something. You know, I don't know. I didn't really have like a way it happened. I just kind of assumed that's how it happened. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And it, it was so heartbreaking to hear Ewan McGregor and he, he performs that part oh, he did great. so oh, he well. Did. But hearing him say, you were my brother, Anakin, I loved you. Like, it's it's right through the heart. And then, of course, good. I was just going to say, and then you, you, in return, he gets, I hate you with just so much rage and anger. Well, the dude is literally engulfed in flames. Yeah. That was, Um, that was kudos to George for that one. That was really, really well done. Yeah. When he said, when they're sitting there in like they're they're floating or whatever on the thing, and he said, "I failed you," like I've you, I've been a leader since I was 19 years old. Like as a 19 year old, I led my first team onto a deployment, like doing missions. Like I was in charge of missions and, and all this stuff, and and you know foreign countries. And all that. Like I've been a leader since I was 19 years old. Like when he said that line, like that that struck me in a spot. I, like I was like, dude, like if I wasn't sitting in my house watching because I was actually watching my iPad at the time. Like if I wasn't sitting in my house, I would have I would have clapped. Like that was that dude is is a is a solid actor. Um I haven't really seen him in a lot of things, but that dude is a solid actor. Like that was that was that was a good that was a good exchange. I'm so excited for the Obi Wan Disney Plus series that we're getting with you and McGregor. So excited. Oh is there one? He, cool. Yeah. Yeah they announced it. It's probably not going to come out until twenty twenty one. I think, but the, uh, the person in charge of writing and directing that whole season, she did two episodes of the Mandalorian and they are my two favorites. And that was chapter seven that just came out on Wednesday. And then she also did chapter three, I believe, mm-hmm. which chapter three, you know, without, without spoiling it for those that haven't seen it, is when the Mandalorian goes and turns in the bounty, then yeah. has a change of heart, goes back to to re retrieve. <laughs> <laughs> eh. I mean, for that episode, it does kind of. I don't know. It's fine. A little it's bit, fine. but I mean, who doesn't see that coming at that point? Um, yeah. No, you know that character is definitely sticking around. So there's got to be some way he goes back to it. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um. But anyway, I think. That'll pretty much wrap. Is there anything else that you want to throw out there about Revenge of the Sith? I mean, not uh, like uh, what's the what's the droid general's name? Oh, General Grievous. Yeah, I was a big fan of him too. That was pretty cool. Um, now do you, now now you have some context for the gift that I send all the time of Obi Wan's head just kind of slowly poking up and then hello there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. I, I also I also love when he has to resort to using a blaster and he just tosses it to the side. So uncivilized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. 
great. Um, that that was pretty cool. I just the only thing I really like have come to just have an issue with is just how much uh, the Jedi, the the Master Jedi's really are just kind of hypocritical. Which again, you know, uh, hypocrisy is is a part of life. I think um, everybody has been or is a hypocrite in some way, shape, or form. So we all do it, but. Uh, you know, so it's, I'm not saying it's like unrealistic cause that's actually very realistic. If, if the Jedi were perfect and never hypocritical, actually that would probably, probably be more re- unrealistic, but just some of the stuff that goes down with, uh, you know, like when it suits me, I'm going to use my emotions, but when it doesn't suit me, I'm not going to use my emotions and I'm going to tell you not to use like, you know what I mean? Just, just a lot of that stuff. There's just a lot of it when it kind of suits and it just, it feels like there are certain moments in the series and not so much in the old series, like the original, but in the the prequel series that things were done just to kind of push the story forward. And I just, I just kind of feel like more thought could have been put into how they push the story forward instead of just saying, ah, well here Yoda will just not sense that because his sensors were off at the moment. And that's how we'll explain that. You know what I mean? Like, so I just that's that's really my chief complaint about all of the movies. I mean, it was obviously in this one as well, but I don't and I can't see like I can't see Anakin killing children, man. Like even dude, when you save... texted me that when you were talking about, you know, Anakin just isn't a go-getter, I believe was the text that you sent me. And yeah. then 3 seconds make, later you're like he doesn't make things happen. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then 3 seconds later you're like, "Oh god, he's killing kids." Yeah. Oh, I, poor Sors Bandeem. And if it did happen, is that the kid? Yeah, Source Bandeem oh. is the one that goes up to Mr. Skywalker. What are we going to do? Yeah. Oh, brutal. But if it did happen, me. I feel like it would have happened later. Like I don't feel like he was. And this is you know negotiable. Right? I just I don't feel like he was dark side enough to get to that. Like, how do you go from okay, like I need you to save my wife, please, I'll do anything, and he's like okay. Go kill children. Like, I feel like that's his meatloaf moment where he's like, I will do anything to save my wife, but I won't do that because Because that's just such a leap, man. I think in that moment, he's not looking at them as children. He's looking at them as potential Jedi. And that's what he was sent in there to eliminate was the Jedi. No matter how old you are, you got to go. Yeah, I understand the theory of it. I just... It's I feel rough. like it was too big of a leap too fast. Um, that's, 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 that's just thing. Like there's no buildup. Like where's the, like where's the sabotage this blow up that kill that adult Jedi. Okay. Now, you know, like, like it's going to, it's like going to a restaurant and you have like this full, like, like a, like a seven course meal. I don't know how many courses come in one of those fancy things, but you have this like full thing and it's like, all right, Here's your here's here's your appetizers, and then boom, there's the steak. You'll get the salad later. Like <laughs> that's just kind of what it felt like to me. Like I see a Sith, I see a Sith apprentice doing that. Obviously, I, you know I can believe Darth Vader would do that. So I can see how they would get there. I just I felt like that that like I said, like that was just one of those moments where it's like, hey, we really need to kind of show Anakin going off the deep end. So let's put together a storyline to make him go off the deep end. And somebody in the room went, Ooh, kill children. And they said, yes, that's the <laughs> fastest, most efficient way to get there. Let's just do it. And there's a saying called rushing to failure. And I feel like those moments is when the, the creators, the writers, whoever they rush to failure. They're like, they want to get there so fast. Um, it kind of the same thing with episode two. Like, and honestly seeing episode three makes me realize that episode two was 85% filler. Like, they it could have been so much better. Well, it could have been better or it could have just not existed. They could have taken about 15 to 20% of what happened in episode two, put it into episode three, make episode three, a three hour. I mean, obviously it wouldn't be episode three then, but make it like a three hour movie. And you could have very well rolled all that stuff in. Um, <laughs> Or on on the flip side, because then then you're not getting your trilogy. So to me, you make episode two, you know, you you do that love story in the first twenty minutes, and you get through all of that. You get through her telling him that she's pregnant. You get through, uh, you know, him getting rid of of Dooku, like you have in the beginning of three. Episode three, the entire the movie should have started. 
with Anakin's turn to the dark side. That whole movie should have built up with Anakin leaving the order, joining Palpatine, this downward spiral, and then you get your climax of him battling Obi-Wan. But it just you're right, it was it was all rushed in that in that third movie. Anakin's downfall lasted for like a half an hour. So you yeah. could have had an entire movie of this buildup. And you know, he can still kill the children, but at least you got two hours beforehand where you see him yes, exactly. building up to the, to that like, evilness. Yeah, like yeah, steal it, some plans. You know what would have been cool? Like like he's gonna go steal some plans of some I don't know, like like the Jedi and their drone army are like creating this like warship that is gonna be a super strong warship and da 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 and he's in there to steal the plans. That's like his his first mission as a as a developing Sith, right? And while he's in there, he sees this like spherical like paperweight and he goes to force it to himself, but as he does it, like someone walks in, so he has to he has to let it drop real quick and be like, Oh, I'm not doing nothing. And when he does, a chip of it comes out. It looks like the Death Star. <laughs> Bro. That would have been a moment. Anyway, we should remake um, these movies. I'm I'm some I'm coming to the belief that we should re- let's start a GoFundMe to remake the movies. I'll give it no, I, I refuse to do that because people did that with The Last Jedi and you know, petitions to decanonize it and, and try to create, you know, a GoFundMe to make a fan film that more encapsulated Star Wars. Yeah, a huge, huge mess. Last is Jedi's so episode eight. Eight? Yeah, the That's one that I, uh, yes, the one that I told you was really, really divisive. Uh, you know, that two years later, people are still complaining about it. Um, but real quick, before we wrap up, you, you said something earlier that made me, you know, reminded me to ask you this question. What did you think? You know, you talked about, you know, if Yoda is this all wise, all powerful, you know, Jedi master, how did he not see this coming? Did you notice that he started to see this coming? Did you, did yeah, because he said the prophecy said that he'll destroy the Sith and bring balance to the universe. Well, he did. He destroyed Dooku, who was becoming a Sith, right? Or was a Sith? And then brought balance to the, to the, to the force by becoming one himself. Well, and Yoda said, misread the prophecy yeah. may be now That's what I'm saying. The prophecy. Yeah. yeah. So of course the prophecy, Anakin is the chosen one. He will destroy the Sith, bring balance to the force. That's the broad spectrum view of what Anakin was going to do. The prophecy did not include he was going to join the Sith and create the downfall of the Jedi. And it wouldn't be until 25 years later when he he would, he does destroy the Sith, but not until after he's Darth Vader. See, I was thinking destroying the Sith was destroying Dooku because he was a Sith apprentice, but I see what you're saying. So destroying the Sith was, because he died himself and killed Palpatine in the process. Exactly. Gotcha. Well, and in that moment when he kills Palpatine, of course, he becomes Anakin again. So then at that moment, there was only one, which was the Emperor, who gets killed. Um, and so Anakin finally did bring that balance. But again, the prophecy is broad strokes. not uh, it, It's not laid out for you. Otherwise, Qui-Gon would have left Anakin's ass on Tatooine, and uh, he just would have been pod racing his whole life. No, he probably would have killed him. Um, so that's not the Jedi way. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I had a thought. I, I completely just lost it, though. Yeah, we're good. Must have been All right. Well, David, let's go ahead and wrap this up. How many Ten. lightsabers Ten. out of five? Ten. Wow. So this is your favorite of, of yeah. the oh, yeah. six that like, you watched. I gotta watch that by itself with no context of anything else, and it would have been a badass movie. Oh, I love to hear that because Revenge of the Sith is one of my favorites. Um, and I've said before, I get hated for it. Uh, I enjoy Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith better than I enjoy A New Hope. And I realize I have to, you know, I, I do have love for A New Hope because without that, we don't have any of the other ones. But as a movie by itself, I very rarely go to watch that one just when i want to one right yes i think i probably made that like number two so i like episode three or no i I, see i keep messing this up to show how much of a rookie i am so i like episode six i think so if i put them in order real quick i think it would go episode six no it would go episode three sorry episode three episode six and then probably 
four, five, one, and two. Okay. Yeah, not a not a bad list, honestly. Now, for the final week of the NFL season, you get to watch The Force Awakens. You get to be introduced to uh, Disney Star Wars. You get to meet Ray and Finn and Kylo yeah, Ren and Poe. Um, so yeah, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, well, that's good. Uh, that makes that makes me happy. I watched it today as I wrapped Christmas presents. Yeah. You do not sound enthused. Are you not enjoying that one so far? Well, we're, we're gonna we'll save it. I'm only like I'm only like twenty minutes in. We'll see. Okay. Oh yeah, I I'm very excited to talk to you about something specific in that movie. Oh buddy, am I excited? Okay. <laughs> so all right, do what? I look forward to it. Oh absolutely. Well, next Friday it'll be our last Friday game preview and. Uh, and of course, the the David reviews Star Wars. But until then, thank you all for for those of you that did stick with us. Thank you for it. Much appreciated. Always enjoy the David reviews Star Wars segments. Shout out Bailey. I know Bailey has said that this is his favorite segment of any of our podcasts all week long. He loves David reviews Star Wars. Um, so again, check out everything at BucksNation.com. Follow along on Twitter. You guys know the handles. Uh, make sure you send us your post-game reaction voicemails, 813-444-5841. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding weekend. Enjoy the game Saturday, and may the Force be with you. And we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks. Oh